0: If you're smelling turkey, it is cooking. I told them they needed to block the block the hallway off so nobody leaves early. But we'll we'll get there. A lot of people prepared a lot of things for this Sunday, so um, Thanksgiving dinner sharing that after service today. So you have to wait till the benediction, though. Okay. Judy and I celebrated one of our wedding anniversaries in Hawaii, and that's especially close now as the, as, as the weather closes in, it gets cold. We think about, I remember those days, that day that we were in Hawaii. One of the first things that, that I noticed about this tropical paradise was that the weather seemed to be about the same every single day. It was sunny, it was 80 degrees, there was an ocean breeze, sometimes a little rain in the afternoon, and then it got sunny again. This weather pattern seemed very consistent and predictable, and I thought, you know, I, I could get used to this. One afternoon, as I was laying on the, on the sun by the pool looking out over the Pacific Ocean, I struck up a conversation with the groundskeeper that worked at the condominium complex where we were staying. And I asked him how he liked living and working in this tropical paradise. He answered, Well, you know, I, I grew up in eastern Washington. Enough said, I thought, that's that's enough. He said, I like the variety of the four seasons, the changes. He said, the weather here is always the same. It gets monotonous. It's boring at times. I thought, what? Spokane? Maui? Maui? Spokane? What's wrong? Is this guy crazy? Many of us would like to live in that tropical paradise. Comfortable, consistent, predictable, in fact, we have friends that moved there from Seattle, and they actually like it. Okay? They actually like it. Well, many of us would like our lives to be a tropical paradise as well. Comfortable, consistent, predictable, no surprises, no change, no stress, just paradise all the time. Unfortunately, life is not so simple, comfortable, or predictable. Life is just not paradise all the time in fact life is not so much paradise as it is process we experience change we have rain and snow and hail and ice and wind we experience seasons different seasons we all experience different seasons a change in circumstances new challenges and if you're like me you will likely ask God what happened to my paradise if you've asked God that before you're in good company Well, today we're going to look at a passage of scripture that talks about seasonal changes. The prophet Isaiah uses an illustration from agriculture, farming, and different seasons. And this is all about God's farming process. Could you pull me down just a tad? I feel like a little loud. We're going to talk about God's farming process and how God accomplishes different tasks in different seasons. And I'd like us to turn to the book of Isaiah. It'll be on the projection as well. Isaiah, the 28th chapter, verses 23 to 29. Isaiah 28, starting with verse 23. Listen and hear my voice. Pay attention and hear what I say. When a farmer plows for planting, does he plow continually? Does he keep on breaking and harrowing the soil? When he has leveled the surface... Does he not sow caraway and scatter cumin? Does he not plant wheat in its place, barley in its plot, and spelt in its field? His God instructs him and teaches him the right way. Caraway is not threshed with a sledge, nor is a cartwheel rolled over cumin. Caraway is beaten out with a rod and cumin with a stick. Grain must be ground to make bread, so one does not go on threshing it forever. Though he drives the wheels of his threshing cart over it, his horses do not grind it. All this also comes from the Lord Almighty, wonderful in counsel and magnificent in wisdom. Today we're going to talk about farming. Now I know the closest most of us come to farming is mowing our lawn. But there are people here that actually know all about farming. And they'll correct me if I make any mistakes at the end of the service, I hope. This parable about farming has some significant lessons to teach us about life, God's farming process. The the primary recipient of this farming parable is the nation of Israel. As we look at the Old Testament, we find that Israel was constantly wandering away from relationship with God. And God always has to work to bring them back into relationship. Isaiah the the prophet draws a picture of how God chooses to work in the life of the Israelites, bringing different seasons to effect change. And the purpose of these seasons, God's farming process, is to bring judgment, to purge, and to cleanse the people in order to bring a restoration of relationship. There's a purpose behind these seasons. When everything was going well, the people forgot their need for God. I know that never happens to you. It has happened to me, I think, once or twice. And in their life and in ours, God brings tough times to remind them of how they need God. Think of yourself this morning as a farm. You have different fields, different areas of your life. Wheat field, a barley field, rye, caraway, or cumin fields. And these may represent different areas in your life, different areas in your life. It could be work, it could be home, school, the role as a parent or as a spouse, your role as an employer, as an employee, a father or mother, an area of great passion or affection, maybe values or priorities. All of us have many different areas of our life, and we have different seasons. For the farmer, seasons are very, very significant. There's a, there's a season for everything. There's a time to plow. There's a time to plant. There's a time to cultivate. There's a time for harvest. There's a time to thresh the harvest. So want, this morning, I want us to look at our different fields and the different seasons and how our farmer, God, works to accomplish his work in you, his farm. Well, As you know, farming always starts with, number one, plowing. Plowing, plowing is the preparation process. Plowing is preparation. Plowing breaks up the old dirt and softens the soil. Plowing gets below the surface and breaks up the hard-packed earth. And it's to prepare for God's work, the farmer. If there's no plowing, what happens when you plant? Todd, what happens if you don't plow before you plant? Yeah, (laughs) you don't get growth. Birds will eat the seeds. Jesus talked about that. So how does God plow in your life, How does he plow in your life? How does he break up the old dirt? How does he soften up the soil? How does God get below the surface to prepare for his work? And what does it feel like? Okay. Does it hurt? Is it frightening? Is it uncomfortable? Probably yes to all three of those. So how, how does God plow in our lives? Well, we can start with relationships. Relationships. God plows in relationships. Take marriage. Marriage, for example. What happens in a marriage? We enter marriage with our opinions, our ways, and our habits. We've been forming this hard-packed field for a long time. We have this shell of protection, of invulnerability, of selfishness, even personal gratification. And what happens now? You get married. The plow of marriage begins to break up all that hardness. And everybody said, Amen. My opinions, my ideas, my way of doing things. Marriage may look like this. He likes to read. She likes television. He likes to go to bed early and get up early. She just starts to get going at 10 p.m. and likes to get up late. She likes check flicks. He likes action adventure. She likes to spend money. He likes to save money. She loves to shop, but the moment his feet hit the hard tile floor of the mall, he becomes very, very exhausted and in desperate need of rest. That's why they have aid stations at malls for men. And if you walk through the mall, you see all these benches? Those are for men resting while the ladies shop. She thinks stoplights are ordained of God to establish order. He thinks stoplights are a tool of the devil to interrupt the schedule. Okay? On the freeway, she likes to leave a good distance between herself and the car in front. He believes that's a total waste of space and keeps the traffic from flowing smoothly. Besides, people drive faster or get out of your way when you get on their tail. He likes smooth jazz music. She likes R&B. He likes ballroom dancing. She likes dancing to country music. Get the picture? Marriage, relationship, lots of plowing going on. By the way, I'm not... I'm not stereotyping. Please, don't accuse me of stereotyping. I'm just describing my marriage. Okay? <laughs> marriage. Marriage functions as a God-ordained plow, breaking up the hard pan, getting below the surface of the soil. Is it painful? Yes. Is it challenging? Yes. Is it uncomfortable? But nothing will ever grow without plowing. The plow of relationships... What about children? Children. The relationship of children, having children. Is there any plowing in that? Yeah, lots of amens. There we go. Children bring out the best and they bring out the worst in all of us. And I can just imagine God up there observing a newlywed couple. They both work, they have plenty of money, they spend plenty of time together, they get lots of sleep, they're busy buying clothes and furniture, they both drive nice cars, they go out to eat all the time. And God looks down from heaven and says, they're having entirely too much fun, I'm going to give them a baby. (laughs) So baby comes. She used to dote on her husband, now she dotes on baby. When the new parents enter the room, the entire focus is on the baby. Remember those really nice Facebook picture posts of her husband? Gone. Gone. All you see now is baby pictures, baby videos, and baby stories. It's sickening. He just disappears. He's been replaced by a baby. Now he's stuck behind the video camera, iPhone, and he totally disappears from photographs until he's about 73. And they say, man, you look old. You didn't see that. Plowing. You bet. Having children requires patience. Self-denial, understanding, wisdom, self-control, and it's very demanding. Does having children do some plowing? Absolutely. What about roommates? Roommates. Plowing, a college dorm, a shared apartment, what that might be. Right out of college, our daughter Brittany moved to Los Angeles to pursue a music career. She had a new truck, a little money in the bank, clothes, and a place to sleep on a friend's couch. And her journey could be described as roommates. Roommates. One time she joined two other 20-somethings in renting a house. They needed a fourth to be able to afford the rent. That's how it goes. So they got one. An elderly woman in her 70s. And Brittany thought, "Oh, this is going to be great. A really nice grandmotherly type woman. Not so much. <laughs> this... Lady was an elder nightmare, an angry, cranky, moody, confrontational. She was as difficult as she could possibly be. Among the many of her antics, she would remove the toilet paper from their shared bathroom. A big problem if if you aren't paying attention. And Brittany wasn't. (laughs) Trying to... (laughs) We remember that story. You bring it... Trying to love the unlovable roommate. Is there plowing going on? Yes. You name the relationship, there's plowing that goes on in relationship. Friends, work partners, and relatives. And relationships produce plowing tensions that break up our hard-packed dirt. And it usually, usually hurts. It's very painful. Or maybe it's a church relationship. One person confessed to me, I have never been hurt so bad before. And he was a Christian. He went to my church. Chances are you opened up your soil and trusted, and therefore it hurt all the worse. Hurt can be magnified by its proximity in relationship. The closer you are, the more it hurts. Relationships. A lot of plowing going on. A lot of plowing going on in relationships. Then there are circumstances. Circumstances. We experience the plow of circumstances, tests, trials, and fires. God will plow our field through circumstances. It might be a, a health crisis that breaks up our dependence on the physical. It might be a financial disaster that breaks up our focus on money. Maybe you're out of work and it breaks up our focus on security, on self. Retirement, what do I do now? The emotional distress, depression, the death of a loved one. God plows through circumstances that we experience and through plowing God softens our heart opens our hearts in a new way and brings a new receptivity to God God plowed Israel God plows us and it's painful but if we are to be open to God's seed to become fruitful we must be plowed But praise God, plowing lasts only for a season, okay? There's a season of plowing. It doesn't last forever. After God plows, he he plants. He plants. Planting is the, the second season. This is the teaching process. Planting seed is the injection of God's life into our lives. It's God's word. Planting God's word into our hearts. John 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In him was life. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. God's Word is the seed that we're preparing for. God's Word. And not only refers to the written Word, but also the living Word, Jesus. The living Word, Jesus. This life of Jesus, this life of the word is injected into our plowed open lives by the ingestion of truth, the Bible, the infilling of Jesus by the Holy Spirit. When we are filled with truth in the Holy Spirit, we begin to grow, we produce life. And the more open we are by the grace of God's plowing, the deeper his life can penetrate our life. There's an interesting passage. I I don't think I put this on projection. It's in Mark 4, 26 to 29. Mark 4, 26 to 29. Jesus said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in its head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts a sickle to it because the harvest has come. Very interesting that we find that the power of life is in that seed, the word of God, the person of Jesus. And when we allow that that word to penetrate our hearts, something miraculous happens. It starts with the penetration of the seed. How does God the Holy Spirit penetrate the recess of our life? It's a huge topic, but very simply, we must empty those spaces in our life so there's room. Sometimes our lives are so full of stuff, so full of activity, so full of whatever, that there's no room for seed to grow. And sometimes he stops us, he plows us, opens that up, and he says, okay, let me pour my life into you. Now, there's an interesting fact of agriculture. In order for the seed to grow, it must first die. Now, I've read stuff on this, and nobody really understands how the seed can die, and then it grows, and without the death, it doesn't produce anything. It has to die. In John 12, 24, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces Many seeds. This amazing thing of multiplication. Growth requires death. It requires death to self. And and this death may begin with the death of my ideas or my view of truth. If I'm to learn something new, I may need to give up the old. Does that make sense? I may have to give up my old ideas in order to learn new ideas. We're coming close to the Christmas season. And when our kids were small, we always taught them the true meaning of Christmas. And when we talked about Santa Claus, we taught them the truth about Santa Claus, the, the historical figure of St. Nicholas, and the fact that he had a strong association with Christmas. But the true meaning of Christmas was, of course, Jesus Christ. Well, they had some young friends down the street who believed in Santa Claus. And when they told these friends the truth... We received an unhappy phone call from the mother imploring us, please rein in your sweet little girls. They were telling them the truth. And they said, don't do that. Well, in order for them to understand the truth, they had to give up the old. You have to give up beliefs that are not true in order to embrace truth. That's, that's death of one thing to embrace life in another. Then there was a tooth fairy. Since believing in the tooth fairy did not seem to interfere with theological history and truth, we played along with it. We did. I'll admit we did. However, we knew our kids knew when they informed us that their friends got a dollar per tooth instead of 25 cents. Then we knew they knew the truth about that. Now, there are exceptions to giving up old knowledge for new. In preschool, we learned that turning a frog into a prince was a fairy tale. In college, we learned that turning a frog into a prince was science. Just saying. (laughs) Anyway, we won't go any further. Death to ideas. We must allow our old ideas and the things that we value to die so that we can embrace the new. Giving up old ideas. Death of the seed. Giving up my will. Surrender to God and his purposes, his plans, his methods, his priorities, his agenda. We don't like giving up control. Nobody here likes giving up control. But our whole life is a process of moving from independence, I don't need God, to dependence. I need God more every day. It's interesting, Isaiah lists some different crops. And crops here, I I would postulate that crops represent different lessons, different lessons. There's caraway, there's cummin, there's wheat, there's barley, there's spelt. All of them are planted in different ways. Caraway and cummin are scattered. Wheat is planted in straight rows. And we discover that God is very specialized in his farming process. God is specialized. He has a purpose and a way to teach us each of these lessons. Let us see growth happens slow growth happens slow we like instant everything and things that happen fast it happens slow when i was 8 years old we moved to iowa as a kid my and my mother had a great idea to produce fresh vegetables and ext- extend our food budget so she planted this big garden she said we're going to have a garden in the backyard and it was it was big We planted corn and carrots and lettuce and beans and radishes. And at the end of each row, I understand I'd never done this before. At the end of each row, we put the packet with a picture on a stick. So you'd see this packet in there, and you'd see what was supposed to grow. How many of you did that? How many of you still do that? Just to make sure you know what you planted. Okay. Just to see. I was really excited to see. I'd never never done a garden before. So the very next morning, I ran out to the backyard to see what happened. And you know what I saw? Nothing. nothing, nothing. I went and ran into mom and I said, mom, it didn't work. She said, no, 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 wait. You have, to, you have to wait. It takes time. It takes time. What I didn't realize was that it also took weeding. I learned how to weed. The results of God's work in our life take time. It takes time. Remember, it takes time for other people too. I have to say, I'm going to be patient with you as well. Growth happens slow. Many times we don't see the process of growth since it's hidden under the soil out of sight. It's out of sight. We cannot rush the maturing process of a plant. Margaret Feinberg wrote a book, Scouting the Divine, My Search for God in Wine, Wool and Wild Honey. And she writes this. Every day has its own amount of growing units. Weather can affect the process, but at the end of the day, I can't change the weather. I can't make the process go faster or slower. I can only choose to live today. Everything grows in its proper season and cannot be forced or hurried on a whim. Harvest does not happen apart from waiting. From waiting. And we are all. We are all waiting. We're all waiting. Margaret Feinberg continues, quote, Waiting is woven into the fabric of history. God is waiting. Creation is waiting. Humankind is waiting. We are all waiting for redemption, for everything to be put back in its proper place in relationship to God. The question, how long, appears more than 50 times in the Bible. Okay? So if you want to quote scripture, just say, how long? Go ahead. You can say that. Ask God. Say, I'm just quoting scripture. How long? There are really two weights, the great weight at the end of time, culmination of history, and our own personal personal weight. And waiting always leads to the same place, in between, not fully here and not fully there. Feinberg writes, "In-between is that place of blind trust where the precepts of faith meet the narrow path of fortitude, and movement is demanded. No, there's no definitive place to go but forward. The worst part, she writes about in between, isn't the uncertainty, discouragement, or frustration, but that sometimes I think God likes it when we're there. Humility is created. We pray in desperation, learn all, of, all over again that when we wait, we're dependent on God. How long, we ask God. He looks down from heaven, smiles, and schedules another delay. Margaret Feinberg, any of her writings are awesome. Waiting. So God plows us, then he grows us. After we've grown, then God purifies us. Number three is purification. This is the transformation process, the refining process. God brought judgment on the nation of Israel for one purpose, to purify them to purify them from false gods, pride, independence, and arrogance, to holiness, righteousness, purity, and loyalty to God. Purification of the transformation process is accomplished by God in different ways. It's another thing. It's accomplished in different ways. It says, caraway is beaten with a rod. Cumin is beaten with a stick. Grain is ground to make bread. What is the the purpose of this process of purification? First of all, it's separation. Threshing separates the useless from the useful. It separates the the seed from the chaff. The seed is the head of the grain that has nutritional value. The chaff is the outer shell that has no use for consumption. Beating your grain is not to destroy the crop. Some would think God's judgment is to destroy Israel. But the purpose is purification, transformation, and Separating the useful from the useless. God threshed Israel through tough times. One writer says, afflictions are God's threshing instruments designed to loosen us from the world to separate between us and our chaff. And again, God uses different instruments, relationships, circumstances, difficult times to accomplish his work. So many things in our lives hold us back from being all that God wants us to be. So God allows or brings things into our lives to separate us from the non-essentials, from the unimportant. God has a purpose for you and your life. He has a legacy for you. He has a, a hope and a future. But we all need some refinement, purification, and transformation before he can use us fully separation. Then there's breaking. Breaking. After the grain is separated from the chaff, then it's crushed by millstone. Why? Grain, grain must be further broken down to be made into flour to make bread. In order for the grain to be useful, it has to be broken down further. You say more? You've got to be kidding. Sometimes he separates us and then he breaks us down so we can make, be made into something greater. Jesus understood this well. In John 6.35, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. And in Isaiah 53, it says of Jesus, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Healed. Jesus was crushed. He was broken so he could give life. We too may need to be broken before God can truly use us. Is it painful? Yeah. Is it easy? No, it's not. But notice something. The crops are never destroyed. They're simply transformed. They're just transformed. We have the rebuilding process, let us see. Verse 28 reads, the grain must be ground to make bread. So one does not go on threshing forever. God's work is not to destroy us, but to separate, purify, and then rebuild us into something better. And God knows exactly how much threshing, grinding, and rebuilding we need. Finally, we have reproduction. Like grain made into bread gives us sustains life. So God uses us to give his life to those around us. And I don't know if you ask God these questions why am I going through this? Why am I experiencing this? What is the purpose? Gary Richmond wrote, wrote a, a booklet called A View from the Zoo a view from the zoo. And he tells us about the birth of a giraffe. This is his narrative about the birth of a giraffe. He writes, The first thing to emerge are the baby giraffe's front hooves and head. A few minutes later, the plucky newborn calf is hurled forth, falls 10 feet, and lands on its back. Within seconds, he rolls to an upright position with his legs tucked under his body. From this position, he considers the world for the very first time and shakes off the last vestiges of the birthing fluid from his eyes and his ears. The mother giraffe lowers her head long enough to take a quick look. Then she positions herself directly over her calf. She waits for about a minute. Then she does the most unreasonable thing. She swings her long, pendulous leg outward and kicks her baby so that it is sent sprawling head over heels. When it doesn't get up, the violent process is repeated over and over again. The struggle to rise is momentous. As the baby calf grows tired, the mother kicks it again to stimulate its efforts. Finally, the calf stands for the very first time on its wobbly legs. Then the mother does the most remarkable thing she kicks it off its feet again. Why? Why? She wants it to remember how it got up. In the wild, baby giraffes must be able to get up and as quickly as possible in order to stay with the herd where there's safety. Lions, hyenas, leopards, and wild hunting dogs all enjoy young giraffes, and they get it too, if the mother didn't teach her calf to get up quickly and get with it. You may feel like that Newborn giraffe. God wants us to learn. we read in God's wisdom, verse 29 says, All this also comes from the Lord Almighty, wonderful in counsel and magnificent in wisdom. Seasons don't last forever. God doesn't plow forever. God doesn't plant forever. God doesn't thresh forever. Each has a season. What season are you in right now? Which field is God working in? And what is your response? Hebrews 12, 11 says this. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness And peace for those who have been trained by it. Righteousness. The whole purpose of God's farming is righteousness. Right relationship with God. God has a farm. And it's me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you give us real life examples of what it's like And you have a process. And I pray, God, that you, by your grace, would continue to teach us, that you would form us, that you would train us, that you would purify us. And as you do that, Father, we pray that you would transform us and use us to make a difference. Father, I pray that you would make, that you would be in our hearts and that we would make room for you in Jesus' name.